When my husband David and I were in college and dating, one of my closest friends had this question that she used to ask me pretty regularly. When we'd sit down to catch up at the end of a day or the end of a week, she'd look at me and she'd say, so, how's your heart? How are you doing? I learned that this wasn't a question she reserved for just her closest friends or her family. I frequently heard her ask this question to other people. I remember many a time overhearing her ask David or one of his friends, how's your heart? How are you doing? This is a question David and I still ask each other, sometimes half kidding, but always with sincerity. It's a great question, isn't it? It kind of helps us to pause and think, you know, I actually haven't thought at all today about how my heart is doing. How am I doing? It is so good to feel known, isn't it? There are all kinds of unknowns in our lives right now. Unknowns about the pandemic and unknowns about what's ahead for our country and the days and weeks ahead. We know there's a time of transition coming for our church, as well as all kinds of other questions and unknowns in our personal lives. Last week, Pastor Melissa reminded us that even when we're surrounded by the unknown, we are not alone. And today we'll continue to look at the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was a person who faced all kinds of unknowns, all kinds of ups and downs. And we'll look at how God is present with Joseph, but also how God knows Joseph and is for Joseph. And we'll think about how this shapes our lives as followers of Christ. As we heard last week, in his youth, Joseph was a tattletale. He spoke poorly of his brothers to important people. He was a braggart, arrogantly telling his brothers of his dream that someday they were going to bow down to him. And Joseph was his father's favorite. And anyone who has brothers knows that that's not who you want to be in a family with lots of siblings. It's important for us to note that the Joseph we were introduced to last week as a young man was completely consumed with himself. He didn't really seem to give any thought to the way that his actions and words affected other people. And he really didn't give any thought early in his life to what God thought about him. So we met Joseph in his immaturity, right? Well, today we pick up the story after Joseph's brothers decided that rather than killing Joseph to get rid of him, they'd sell him into slavery. So his brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites, who sold Joseph to the Midianites, who sold Joseph to Potiphar in Egypt. Potiphar is a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's Egypt. He's a captain of the guard. And Potiphar comes to trust Joseph greatly and ends up putting Joseph, the, the text says, in charge of almost everything in his household. Potiphar no longer even concerned himself 
all that much with anything going on in his house. I'll begin reading our passage today from Genesis 39, starting with the second half of verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And sometime later, Joseph's master's wife came, became attracted to Joseph and said, Sleep with me. And Joseph refused. And he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master doesn't pay attention to anything in his household. He's put everything he has under my supervision. No one is greater than I am in this household, and he hasn't denied me anything except you, since you are his wife. How could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? Every single day she tried to convince him, but he wouldn't agree to sleep with her or even to be with her. One of the beautiful things about these early stories of God's people in Genesis is all that is not said in these stories, all the room that's left for interpretation. What makes this so beautiful is that we can see ourselves in these stories, and we can see these stories in our lives. So we can begin to see ourselves in what's going on in this story with Potiphar's wife and Joseph. There's a broad range of interpretation about what happens in this story. Some interpreters believe that Joseph actually had feelings for Potiphar's wife or that maybe they were both interested in each other. Some interpreters see Joseph using his good looks and his irresistible charm to get himself into a tricky relationship with a woman who is more mature and more powerful than he is. In other words, Joseph might have gotten himself into a situation he couldn't handle, not realizing that Potiphar's wife was going to destroy him no matter what he did. Some interpreters see a problem with the way women, and particularly foreign women in some instances, are portrayed in the Old Testament stories. Somehow it, it seems like women or the foreign woman are the people who represent or carry evil, that women are somehow demonized or characterized as singularly seductive. And when we interpret the Bible this way, it can become problematic. So we can't be exactly sure how Joseph got himself into this situation with Potiphar's wife, or that we really understand fully what's going on here. But there's one thing that's very clear to me in how Joseph responds to the advances of Potiphar's wife. Something in Joseph has changed. Did you notice that? The Joseph of Egypt is not the Joseph of Canaan. This is not the boy who swaggered in his father's fields in his fancy robe and taunted his brothers, flaunting his father's favoritism, arrogant and self-absorbed. Notice what Joseph says to Potiphar's wife in response to her advances can't do this because it would be a grievous sin against my master and against God. 
I want you to think about what Joseph could have done here. Remember, Joseph is this man of powerful dreams, and he had dreamed that someday his brothers would bow down to him. Someday he would have power over them. So after his dark journey from the pit in Canaan where his brothers threw him, after this journey to serve as a slave in the house of Potiphar, why not accept the advances of Potiphar's wife? Why not say yes to this dangerous dance? Why not use his charm to plot with Potiphar's wife to kill Potiphar and maybe become the master of Potiphar's house, maybe the captain of Pharaoh's guard? But that's not what Joseph does. Something in Joseph wins out over any allure of power or pleasure or infatuation or desperation to get out of his situation. What wins out within Joseph is the trusting relationship he has with Potiphar and Joseph's reverence for God. That's what wins out in Joseph in this instance. Life brings us all kinds of situations like this, times when we make choices. Am I going to unleash my anger in hurtful ways or am I going to deal with my anger in a healthy way? Am I going to protect and preserve this trusting and precious relationship or am I going to chip away at the trust and security of this relationship? In this moment of uncertainty and unknown, will I seek rest and refuge in God? Or will I try to power through with my own strength and wisdom? The list goes on and on. I am sure that in your own life you have a list of situations in which you are trying to be faithful. Or where you're not exactly sure what the right decision is. And maybe you're even struggling to trust that you could make the right decision when you're in the moment. What happens in Joseph is the same work that Christ does in you and me, in people who seek to follow him. Christ is interested in shaping who we are on the inside, not just shaping what we think or do or say, but in shaping the kind of people we are. And the hope for Christ followers is that through grace and the presence of God's Spirit, Christ will form us to be the kind of people who think and act and speak in the way Jesus did. So you can see that this is much deeper than just making right choices or thinking rightly or speaking the right words. It's about allowing Christ to be the, the power and the force that shapes who we are, that shapes our hearts, our minds, and our bodies and our souls. Allowing Christ to make us into a new person. We don't have to be who we were in the past. God had to do some pretty hefty soul-shaping and maturing and faith-building work in Joseph 
in order for him in this moment to choose what moved him closer to God. You see what Joseph did there? The good news for you and me is that God does this same hefty work in our souls so that when we find ourselves in the moment, we are the kind of people who choose to move closer to God. To be people who don't just make the right decisions or do the right things, but the kind of people who seek Christ's shaping and molding work within us. Here's what happens next in Joseph's story. One day when Joseph arrived at the house to do his work, none of the household's men were there. Potiphar's wife grabbed his garment saying, lie down with me. But he left his garment in her hands and ran outside. When she realized that he had left his garment in her hands and run outside, she summoned the men of her house and said to them, look, my husband brought us a Hebrew to ridicule us. He came to me to lie down with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me raise my voice and scream, he left his garment with me and ran outside. She kept his garment with her until Joseph's master came home, and she told him the same thing. When Joseph's master heard the thing that his wife told him, he was incensed. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were held. While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. He caused the jail's commander to think highly of Joseph. The jail's commanders put all of the prisoners in the jail under Joseph's supervision, and he was the one who determined everything that happened there. The jail's commander paid no attention to anything under Joseph's supervision because the Lord was with him and made everything he did successful. So in this instance, Joseph makes what many of us think was the right decision here. And then he gets punished for it. He winds up in another pit, but this time it's prison. Maybe you can think of a time when you sincerely tried to do the right and faithful thing. And it backfired on you. But notice something about the next part of Joseph's story these circumstances in Joseph's life being thrown in prison for doing the right thing do not change the spiritual trajectory of Joseph's life or God's faithfulness. While he was in jail, it says, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. This tells us something powerful and important about God. God knows Joseph and is for Joseph. God is faithful to the promise that God made to Joseph's ancestors. And the same is true for us. God knows us intimately, personally, and far better than we can know or understand ourselves. And God is for us. I want you to think about that. The opposite reality would be that God is against us, that God has it out for us, 
that God is a judge and a punisher looking to sentence us and come to collect on our debt. It's amazing to me to think that these kinds of ideas about God circulated in the ancient Near East thousands of years ago. You know, I'm not an expert on ancient Near Eastern religion, but I do know that other religions in this part of the world around Canaan and Egypt did not worship a God with the power to create the universe who was also personally invested in the lives of humans. This God is about covenant and steadfast love. So when we say that God knows us and God is for us, we're claiming the truth that even when we're facing powerful unknowns, we are known. God is moving toward us because this is who God is. So here's a question for you this week. In whatever the unknowns, tough decisions, difficult situations you're facing, what does it look like for you to move closer to God? How is God inviting you to settle down into that place of deep trust? That place where your soul, your mind, your body, and your heart can be soft, can rest in God's steadfast love. That place where you can accept this beautiful and life-shaping work that Christ is doing in you. So that when you are in the moment, like Joseph, you can show up as one shaped by Christ to act like Jesus. I want to encourage you to not be shy with God. I want to encourage you to ask God to help you hold nothing back from God. You know, these are days of ups and downs. There are so many factors out of our control, unexpected twists and turns each day, it seems. But remember that God is not limited by our circumstances and is certainly not limited by our failures or who we were yesterday or 10 years ago. In every up and down, every unknown, every failure, every unexpected twist and turn, God is there. God is coming to you in those places. God knows you and is not coming after you to tear you down and condemn you, but is seeking to help you make Christ the Lord of your life in all things. So I hope this week that you can sense Christ asking you, how is your heart? Tell me, how are you doing? And as you spend time in God's presence reflecting on that question, I hope that you can feel in a deeply personal way the trajectory of God's presence in your life, which is toward you, knowing you, and being for fullness of life in you. Most of all, I'm hoping and praying this week that all of us can turn our hearts back again and again this week to rest in God 
and to entrust all of ourselves to Christ so that we can be made into people who are more loving and equipped to act like Jesus.